You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. We are well underway now with Whiteout Week 2023. The number seven Nittany Lions of Penn State set to host the Iowa Hawkeyes at number 24 in national rankings this Saturday night in primetime, 7.30 CBS kickoff. Going to be a lot of fun working our way towards this uh, this game. And, of course, when things get underway, we'll be situated in the press box. Myself, Mark, and Dylan, whatever happens afterwards, going to be a late-night Saturday coming to you with our post-game podcast. But I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. We are still relatively early in game week. We're going to get a long look at the Hawkeyes uh, and momentarily on this episode, David Eicholt, who covers Iowa for 24-7 sports, and he has done that at a high level for several years now. Iowa and Penn State have met so many times despite not sharing the same division in the Big Ten Conference that it almost feels like they have shared the same division. And, and because of that, we've had David on a bunch of times in the past year to break down this matchup. We'll do it again in a little while, but we had a hell of a press conference take place at Beaver Stadium uh, early afternoon here on a Tuesday. Myself, Mark Brennan, Daniel Gallon were all in our usual spots, and uh, it wasn't the usual uh, situation, though. James Franklin uh, kind of uh, interrupted his own opening statement to, to discuss something with a member of the media, and then we had push-ups later for not only James Franklin but Greg Kincaid because uh, their facts were proven a little off on how many whiteouts there have been exactly. And uh, Audrey Snyder, obviously the official uh, fact-checker of the Beaver Stadium uh, press room, uh, James Franklin continuously giving her the tip of the cap during our press conference today. So it went off the rails a little bit. I think that's how Mark Brennan phrased it. Uh, we had other things pop up. Up like Jell or or Moose and James Franklin just explaining, well, he doesn't need either of those things. At the end of the day, this is a team that feels pretty good about itself at 3-0, and I think just James Franklin's demeanor overall and kind of where he was willing to let this press conference go tells you a little bit about how he feels through three matchups. Yeah, J James Franklin definitely seemed pretty loose and, and pretty confident 
you know, after he did did the push-ups, you know, he said that you know everyone has to be accountable, you know, in, including himself for for not double checking the information that he had. But you know, you had, we had some other you know comments in there. You know, like you said, these two teams have met a lot um, over the past couple of years, and you know, James Franklin you know pointed it out how pointed that fact out, and you know how it's just kind of you know random that Penn State always seems to have Iowa as a crossover opponent pretty similar to how they always randomly uh, open this, the big 10 schedule on the road. Uh, we had a little, you know, a little PFF reference in there too uh, for, for charting some things and and what's happening on some plays. So, you know, I think that James Franklin feels pretty loose. You know, I think that he's in a position where he should feel good about this team. You know, they're three, and know, they just won a game on the road in big 10 play by 17 points where they didn't play their best. Um, you know, I think a lot of the mistakes that you saw in that game against Illinois are all fixable, and I'm sure that they were uh, teaching points. You know, you're going into the whiteout, uh, which is you know your toughest home game. It's your home game that's toughest for an opponent every single year, and it has the most excitement on it, the most eyes on it. Um, so I think that Penn State is in a, a good spot, and you know, you know, for me personally, you know, the weather that we're having this week is great. I know that the forecast is a little dicey for Saturday night, but it does feel like football weather out there. You know, we're coming up on that first day of fall and, you know, it's, it's time for a big football game. Yeah. The temperatures, you know, it feels like the, the games matter a little bit more when you get to this time of year and, the, and it starts to get a bit cooler. And of course, when you've got two uh, numbers alongside each of the teams in the matchup, uh, that speaks volumes as well. That's what we got here. Number 24, Iowa, number seven, Penn State. We'll break down our impressions of this matchup on our Thursday episode of the podcast. Myself, Daniel and Mark Brandon will give you our players to watch uh, what we felt uh, and what we saw coming out of practice and kind of where we think the team is heading towards Saturday kickoff and ultimately our final score predictions. Uh, but let's circle back to some of the conversations we had here on a Tuesday in Happy Valley. And you talked about it uh, yesterday once we got confirmation of the media schedule. Uh, Tuesdays with Drew. Uh, Drew Aller uh, helping uh, lead off our media schedule for the third consecutive week on a Tuesday morning. As you said last week, we'll take the starting quarterback every Tuesday if we can get him during the season. And uh, something that, before we get to what Drew said, that Jenklin said during his press conference, I thought it was one of the more notable lines from a press conference with many of them. He said, there's no more firsts for Drew Aller. The question was posed about him entering his first whiteout environment as a starting quarterback and what that might do to a young quarterback. And James said, I get the question, but we're done with this. He has his first start. He has his first road start. He has his first big 10 start. And James says no more first. And I think that pretty much sends a signal, uh, kind of what we heard from, from Theo Johnson, he's growing up before their eyes. And, and I don't think they need to apply any training wheels externally or internally at this point. It, it kind of goes along to another line that we hear from James Franklin when you get later into the season and you hear that all these freshmen aren't freshmen anymore, that they've been around long enough, that they've seen enough. And I think it's doubly true for Drew Aller when you think about the amount of experience that he was able to have last year. I mean, it is a different animal being a starting quarterback in the Big Ten than coming in to, you know, mop up a, a 30 to nothing win against Maryland in the rain. I mean, that's a very, these are very, very different things. But at the same time, you know, we saw Drew Aller play on the road at Purdue last year. You know, he's, his first start is on national television at home uh, in a pseudo whiteout against West Virginia. He acquitted himself very well. Um, I think that this also speaks to the maturity that he has. I think there's a reason why James Franklin keeps harping on Aller's poise 
Um, that's something that just comes up so much. Um, you know, Theo Johnson was talking about it this morning where when they were at Illinois and Theo even lumped himself in with a group of players who in Johnson's words, were getting a little too hot and a little too cold that Aller was the one that kind of got them in the huddle and was like, okay, like we're doing this right now. Like, you know, kind of calm down. We got this. Um, so I think that Aller is just one of those kind of preternaturally gifted, um, you know, quarterbacks who has these, you know, it just has these traits, these intangibles um, to be able to keep his cool and have that permeate uh, to the rest of his teammates. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, James Franklin, I think that he doesn't necessarily want, you know, I think part of it is that he doesn't want the narrative to be that Penn State has a first time starter at quarterback. You know, that's something that we've been talking about um, for a while as maybe a potential uh, flaw in this team. You know, no matter what Drew Aller's pedigree was, he's still a first time starter. So I think that part of this might be trying to change the narrative on that a little bit. You know, once you get into kind of your perception when it comes to voting college football playoff committee, um, you know, getting dinged for all these kind of esoteric things that you can on your resume. Um, but I think also I think it mostly it just speaks to Drew Aller, who he is and who he's been since he's been at Penn State. Yeah, Drew this morning, uh, you know, pretty retrospective about his performance and what the what the offense did and did not do at Illinois. Uh, you know, he was just under 50 percent pass completion, 31 points, 20 points off of takeaways. It felt like they could have really piled the points on early in this one and put it out of reach maybe by halftime if they had taken advantage. And he was referencing one of those drives that followed a Penn State takeaway. It stalled out. They felt like they were given the ball in great field position, needed to go punch it in. And I think he picked up on some of that 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 mercurial nature uh, maybe around him where, where guys it was you know second quarter you, you don't want to send the team into the locker room like that and, and I think they were able to get on track and get a field goal that helped but but Drew said they were very close so that's a phrase that he used over and over and over again on Tuesday he said uh, it could be frustrating to, to watch the film back and see how close they were but he said he takes comfort in the fact that they were very close and he took ownership of a lot of that he said you know, a few passes if he's able to hit the guy just a little bit better uh, instead of a six-yard gain they could be scoring more points and and you know he's not going to be one to point out the play of his receivers we spent a lot of time on, on our Monday episode of the podcast breaking down you know he was let down by that unit in some instances they need a bounce back performance uh, but really I think what we hear about Drew is the competency um, and, and that is so important to hear any level of, of quarterback play whether you're talking about high school football or all the way to the NFL is is the guy competent he can throw the ball a country mile he can run a 4-3 but is he a competent quarterback in every phase of the game and every juncture of the game and so far he's passed all those tests the one thing that we just don't know yet and you know I, it's not against Drew and it's not against Penn State they're they're playing the games that they're dealt and they're they're handling their business the way they should but we haven't seen him in the pressure cooker fourth quarter spot just yet and maybe that comes this Saturday Penn State would probably prefer it not to come for as long as they possibly can where they're able to tuck him away in the fourth quarter and get Bo Perbula more action uh but but that is the next stage of of what we need to see from Drew Aller here as a sophomore but but like James Franklin referenced and like Theo Johnson gave us on a Tuesday morning as well uh, he is responding to, to everything that has been thrown his way exactly how you would hope 
you know, this face of the franchise material young man uh, would would react. Now, let's talk about that Theo Johnson uh, call because I, I, I touched on it here a few times with Drew. This guy's a team captain, uh, a fourth-year player, uh, and he has high hopes for himself. I know that, that James Franklin has talked about him being very talented in their lineage of tight ends and what he could be able to accomplish. But second consecutive year now, Daniel, where – the stats aren't showing up. He's playing a lot of football right now. Uh, he, he's not taking a lot of time on the sideline. Thus far, Tyler Warren has 10 catches. That's second on the team. He's got back-to-back -back games with touchdowns. Theo had a couple catches, 33 yards, big 19-yard uh, gain, I believe it was, uh, against Illinois. So it was it was a step forward because we just had flashes, really, through the first couple matchups. Uh, but he's a guy that says he's staying patient and, in his words, trusting the process. Yeah, it's kind of funny to have uh, Theo Johnson this week, considering, you know, whiteout week last year was when we had him on, I think, a, a Tuesday or, or a Wednesday morning. Not a lot of people were on the call. You know, he'd been off to that slow start where he'd missed a couple games because of injury. Um, and he you know, didn't kind of come, didn't outright say that he wanted the ball uh, more, but he talked a lot about how he thought that he could help the offense and that he thought that he was someone you know who had the talent to really you know help the team. Uh, and then he comes out against Minnesota and has five catches for 75 yards and a touchdown. And he was kind of off to the races uh, from there. So you know, there's a it rhymes a little bit having him this week before the whiteout. Um, you know, after a, a couple quiet performances, but at the same time, I, I think that he realizes how much talent there is on this offense. And I think that these tight ends, you know, from you know, we talked to Brenton Strange a lot last year, and he he was someone that you know I spent a lot of time you know watching, talking to, and you know really you know taking extra attention to at these games. And um, you know the way that he would talk about the job of a tight end at Penn State, and I think James Franklin kind of brought this up too, is that you know they all know that their numbers could be bigger if they were the only tight end that were that was playing, but Penn State. You know, they like to go deep into that room. They like to play multiple tight ends. Uh, they like to use them in different ways. They know that they have importance and value in the running game. That's really important. And so, you know, I, I think that Theo Johnson knows all of this. At the same time, though, I think that he knows, James Franklin knows, Ty Howell knows, Drew Aller knows. We all know what he could add to this offense as, as being a you know, a, a pretty good weapon for them. So, yeah, I am interested. I think he's due for a breakout. I think there's a lot of guys that are due <laughs> on this offense, uh, the way that we've talked about it recently, um, you know, but when or how that shows up, um, I think we'll have to wait and see. But, you know, I do think that Theo Johnson also knows that he's a leader on this team. He has to carry himself in a certain way. He has to set a certain tone. And I think that that's what he's trying to do right now. Yeah, two catches for 14 yards against Delaware. Uh, did not get a catch against West Virginia. Two catches for 32 against Illinois. And that 19-yard reception he had uh, on Saturday afternoon was was not irregular for him. Remember last year, despite being six foot six, 260 pounds, he was the leader on Penn State in average yards per reception. And last season, September, Brenton Strange came out so hot, and you thought he was going to end up with huge statistical numbers. That didn't happen. He still got drafted in the second round, but he didn't end up filling the stat sheet. 
Theo Johnson came on strong, and, and for the second half of the season, he was the one doing the bulk of work. Thus far, Tyler Warren, 10 catches. That matches his entire total from the 2022 season, but we could see Theo Johnson uh, get to 10 catches in, in a matter of four quarters if he has the right kind of night. Uh, so we'll follow along with Theo Johnson, and and you make a good point. Nick Singleton hasn't rumbled. You know, he feels like he's due to go off for a 45-yard run at any moment. Um, and, and then we still got a lot to learn about this wide receiver group. One thing that stood out to me uh, from James Franklin's commentary and his opening statements was when they named the team uh, the team's picks for MVPs, which the staff decides on Malik McLean which we harped on you know, his situation quite a bit with the wide receiver unit on Monday, had a couple obvious drops, played the starting role with Harrison Wallace uh, out, played a lot of snaps, didn't really work out well, uh, but he was named the special teams MVP for this game. That's twice in a three-week span. And by the way, you're missing Malik Mega, a special teams captain who fills that kind of frame with the speed and the six foot four. So let's not overlook what he is doing, but let's not overlook what Caden Saunders is doing because James Franklin says he may be his role as the punt returner right now may be one of the more underappreciated aspects of what Penn State has done through three matchups. Franklin said underappreciated regarding Caden Saunders in that role, I think three times in his answer when I asked about Saunders. And what that is, is it's it's catching these the, the ball in traffic, which he has shown he has the ability to do, and not just the easy ones, uh, but, but also handling the easy ones. Because if you don't do that early in your career, you're probably not going to get another chance, and you'll probably cost your team a possession or a game. Uh, and Mark Brennan kind of brought this up on the last episode. But what James Franklin also said is, is he is the confidence is starting to, to you know seep into other parts of his game. And we heard that from Drew Aller. He said, before Drew Aller even talked about how Caden is playing wide receiver, he said, look what he's doing as a punt returner. You know, pay attention to that. And then later on, James Franklin brings it up, how, how pleased and how successful they feel like Caden's been. James says he's going to break one. It's a matter of time. Mark Brennan predicted he would return one against Delaware, which was a good pick. Uh, he had, you know, he had a flash moment against Illinois, helped them, help set them up with another short field. Want to see if you can do that on a regular basis because they haven't gotten that out of position. But James Franklin, I think, more than at some point him breaking a 70-yard punt return in October or November, James Franklin wants consistency and decision making, and that's what he's getting out of Caden Saunders, who had two catches on ten snaps against Illinois, Daniel. And I think when you look around the wide receiver group and say, who do you want to see a little bit more? My mind goes to Caden Saunders. Definitely. And I think that the the situations with Caden Saunders and Malik McLean really show the the emphasis that Penn State uh, puts on special teams and, and Marcus Hagan's in in particular, when we talked to Malik McLean after practice a couple weeks ago, and you know, we after that first game, he was the special teams player of the week, and you know, we asked him about his approach to that, and he said, "Well, Marcus Hagan said that he wants us to be starters on special teams, so that's what I went out and did." Um, and so I think that it shows that you know, even though Malik McLean wasn't having the best day on offense, you know, he had those two pretty costly drops. You know, he was still able to find a way to contribute. Um, and I think that that is what you want to see from a wide receiver in that position. That's what you want to see from any player where even if it's kind of like the baseball cliche, where if you make an error on the field, you don't want to take that with you when you go up to bat in the next inning. You know, even though things weren't going well for Malik McLean on the offensive side, you know, he was able to still contribute, you know, still stay engaged, you know, still be key on a you know very important unit. You know, as for Caden Saunders, I think you're also seeing a similar thing where 
I think the more time he's out there, the more of these punt returns that he's he's picking up, the more confidence that he can gain. I think that that'll carry over into what he does at wide receiver for Penn State. You know, I am very excited to see what he can do. It would be f- kind of I think it would be fun to see him out there with Drew Aller for more than ten snaps. Um, you know, and to be kind of in more of the the run of play when when the game is in doubt um, and whatnot. But I, I think that he can slowly build confidence just by getting reps on the field on special teams. I mean, you think about that first punt that he caught against West Virginia. Um, you know, I think it was inside the 10 and it was one where you know, obviously we don't know what the exact call was on that, you know, whether or not to let it go or, or to care or to fair catch it. But, you know, when I was watching the TV replay, he kind of you know patted his chest as he as he walked off the field and, and was looking over there. Um, but since then. I mean, he's been really good back there. Um, you know, he had the 19-yard return uh, against Illinois. I know that he got stopped for a loss on another one. He's a redshirt freshman. There's going to be some ups and downs back there. But, you know, I think at times last year, the pump return team, it kind of felt like an adventure with Parker Washington sometimes. Like, it, you know, whether or not he was going to catch it, you know, what he was going to do when he caught it that type of thing. But so far, you know, when Caden Saunders has been back there, you know, he's caught it. He's caught it in traffic. He's looked confident and assertive uh, since that first game at West Virginia. And I think that he's due to break one and just that he can carry that confidence over to the offensive side of the ball and show a little bit what he can do there. Yeah. Caden Saunders, when you factor in the punts and the catches uh, against Illinois, four touches in space, he had a lot more opportunities against Delaware. This is a guy you want those opportunities in space. Can you find a way to maybe not count on those punts because you're not always going to get punt return opportunities? Uh, Can you maybe find a way to work him in getting those touches on offense by design? Something we'll be curious about because he only needs a little bit of room to maneuver. We've seen that. And I think you'll take the occasional loss on a punt return, allowing him to try to get creative because that's a special part of his game. And I think if, if he's trying to be creative out there with the football kind of shows that his confidence is in the right place. And Caden Saunders, a top 100 prospect came to campus January, 2022. We've got a lot to learn about him, but it sounds like he is on the right path. I just went back to check those the punt return stats for, for Parker Washington. You called them an adventure i i just would say there weren't a lot of of splash plays from that punt return unit when he was back there he had a long of 18 in in 2021 he had a long of 30 last year at one point but only 99 total yards on 18 returns last season so one for 30 and then 17 other for cumulatively 69 total yards so uh, Caden Saunders will see what else they get this is the kind of game where a, a big return could shift momentum because of what we know about Iowa and the way they play football Let's talk about uh, a couple other comments from James Franklin. Uh, Hunter Norzad named the team's offensive MVP. I think that kind of deserves a double take uh, because he gave a collective MVP to the defense, to every player who had a hand in turnovers. It was six different guys who had a hand in five takeaways. Uh, but offense, it was just one. It was Hunter Norzad, the center, dealing with this ferocious Illini front led by Johnny Newton. So I thought that was interesting kind of to show how this team and the staff is viewing their starting center right now, coming out of a, a really pressure-packed matchup for that interior of the offensive line. And then just a lot from James Franklin on Micah Parsons today, Daniel. Um, we have a story up at lines247.com about that, but it, I don't know if it was three minutes. I, I didn't exactly clock it, <laughs> but it, it, the, the first, you know, it, he was asked, you see Micah Parsons blossoming into arguably the best defensive player or maybe the best overall player in the NFL right now in this relentless nature and what he's doing with the sack totals for the Dallas Cowboys. 
what what comes to your mind and james franklin led off with well would have been nice to have him for a third year which i thought was great um and then he ran with it from there just about micah parsons maturation process he called the the recruiting process a roller coaster ride which he's done in the past i covered that recruiting process i went to harrisburg high school a few times i can verify i i had a seat in the back of that roller coaster i guess you could say along the way uh but it it, it really is something to hear and, and Mike and james franklin sounds like a proud daddy reference the three-year graduation uh that that micah parsons was able to do through penn state he also talked about the fact that he's frugal. He said, you know, this is a guy that's complaining on social media about the price of a haircut and he's got more money than he ever imagined he could possibly have. But he pointed to Micah Parsons who came to, to, to give a, a, what they call a share speaking in front of the team earlier this month before one of those home matchups and just said, this is an example of a guy who bought into the Penn state community has grown up. And it, at the end of the day, it's pretty cool to see Micah Parsons and Penn state, loving each other you know there it seems like it's going to relate a relationship that that is built to last at least certainly through this james franklin era when a while back the the, the penn state micah parsons relationship dynamic when he was in high school was in a very strange place so it, it was really cool to hear james get a little bit emotional and, and, and kind of spilling his soul there about what micah parsons has done here at penn state and then beyond yeah, I took my turn on the roller coaster when I was out in uh, in Beaverton at Nike for the opening in 2017. And it's all like Florida, Miami, uh, I think Ohio State, you know, Penn State felt like it was almost at, at the back burner um, at that point when when it came to Micah Parsons recruitment. And, you know, I think, you know, I was at Penn Live and, you know, I woke up that morning in, in 2017. I think I I think I drove down to Northern Virginia for Ricky Slade's uh, signing day ceremony. The next day I went to New Jersey for Justin Shorters. So not really batting a thousand there, but you see the video of, uh, of Micah Parsons committing. And, you know, I, I think that once he got to Penn state, like James Franklin said, you know, there's some tough love involved, but I think that this program did a really good job of, of producing someone that could go to the next level and really, really thrive. You know, and be ready for anything that's been been thrown thrown at him. You know, I've, I've watched a couple of breakdowns of Parsons on on Twitter and YouTube, and there's a lot of a lot about um, you know how he rushes quarterbacks differently, and about how he's getting there. You know, in much, many different ways compared to what you think of as the stereotypical great pass rushers in, in the NFL right now. And it just speaks to kind of the the rare athlete he is. But when you ask James Franklin about Micah Parsons, he doesn't start there. You know, Franklin starts with, you know, who he is, you know, what he's meant to this program, what he still means to this program. You know, I thought it was funny when Franklin said that, you know, it's going to be hard to find a bigger Penn State wrestling fan than yeah, Micah right. Parsons. Uh, and we've seen him back at the BJC for, for some of those matches that he just appreciates Kale Sanderson and, and the way that that program operates. I think that's a window into Micah Parsons. Um, and I think it was just, you know, it's cool. I mean, you know, sometimes when guys leave, um, you know, you don't hear much about them again at the university. I think nowadays across most, uh, you know, college programs, yeah, I think that it's, I think social media makes it easier than ever for, you know, programs to keep in touch with their former players and the kind of, you know, you know, uh, I trying to think of, of a good word to use the, the one word that came to mind wasn't a good one, but, you know, I guess to keep that connection publicly. Um, but I think that Parsons is someone who really, you know, owns that connection with Penn state, you know, and really genuinely loves it. And, you know, I think that, 
he's the type of player that you can really recruit off of for a long, long time. Yeah, engagement has never been an issue with, with Mr. Parsons. And uh, before we get to David Eichholt and break down the Iowa Hawkeyes, I wanted to, to at least pay a little bit of attention that we now have a Penn State basketball schedule to consider. And another game at the Palestra, I think we got to lead off with that. But Daniel, uh, in a minute or two, kind of give us uh, your top takeaways initially to the 2023-2024 the start of the Mike Rhodes era Penn State basketball season. Yeah, the, the Big Ten released its schedule uh, this afternoon, Tuesday afternoon. Penn State hadn't even released its non-conference yet, so they just released the whole enchilada at one time. Um, I think the one thing that you know, catches your attention is for the second straight year and the fourth time since the 2016-2017 season, uh, Penn State is going to play at the Palestra. Uh, this year it's Michigan, Sunday, January 7th, uh, 2024. Um, there, There's a kind of nice Philly family connection there. Phil Martelli, the former longtime coach at St. Joe's, um, is uh, is an assistant on Jawan Howard's staff at Michigan. Jimmy Martelli, his son, uh, is an assistant on Mike Rhodes' staff at Penn State. Um, so, you know, Jawan Howard, I think, first talked about this being a possibility in February. Um, and, you know, he mentioned, you know, wanting to get Phil Martelli back into Philadelphia um, as, as a reason for wanting to do this. Um, you know, for Penn State, they played Purdue in this game last year you know, gave the Boilermakers a pretty good run for their money. I think it's a cool kind of staple to have, um, you know, on the schedule when it comes to, you know, engaging that alumni base in Philadelphia, playing in a place that's not the BJC, you know, playing in a very small, intimate arena. Um, so that'll be cool. You know, other things to note on the schedule, season opener, uh, Monday, November 6th against Delaware State. Uh, you've got some regional, local games in the non-conference against St. Francis, Lehigh, Bucknell. Big Ten opener at Maryland on Wednesday, December 6th. Uh, Big Ten home opener against Ohio State on Saturday, December 9th. And then once you get to uh, January 4th, that's a trip to Michigan State. That's where the Big Ten uh, schedule starts in earnest. With the 20-game conference schedule, you, know, you get those two or three games in uh, December as a little tease. Then you go back into the non-con. But once you get to January 4th, it's going to be off and running in what should once again be a you know, a pretty, uh, pretty grueling conference, I think. Uh, Penn State made its long-awaited return to March Madness. The NCAA tournament picked up a victory. Uh, feels like a long time ago because this roster and this coaching <laughs> staff has, has been reset. So, uh, But the path is laid out before them. They have the potential there. We'll talk more about this team later on in the year. Daniel, thanks for breaking that down and, of course, all the football conversation before then. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Looking forward to your conversation with David. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. David Eichholt has been a regular here on the Lions 24-7 podcast because although they do not share a division, they have shared a schedule so often. Didn't play last year. You may have heard about the 2021 matchup between these teams. We'll talk about that in a lot more, but... David, we just talked about how much fun we had in this press conference. It was a, a pretty light affair. James Franklin was doing some joking around with, with members of the media. You just came out of a pretty heavy press conference because of the injury situations that have developed in Iowa City. First off, hello. Second off, what did you learn? Yeah, man, good to be joining you again. Really quick before I get into that, I do have yeah. a Mike Parsons story that I think you guys Bring might it. be interested in. So is when I was working at uh, Nebraska, they hold they held their Friday Night Lights camp, right? And Micah Parsons went down there. Obviously, didn't do all the drills. He was already like the, one of the highest rated recruits in the country. At the end of the camp, he wanted to line up at wide receiver, and he went over to all the coaches and said, "Put the best defensive back prospects on me." I think he went up against I can't remember the player's name, a top thirty-five overall recruit, high four star. I don't think it was a five star. I watched Micah Parsons just sprint right by him on the first rep, mossed him in the corner of the end zone at 6'3". You know, I think he was about 220 at the time, ran like a solid 4'3'5 at that camp. And I just sat back and I said, that dude's making $200 million when he goes to the (laughs) NFL. Just absolutely ridiculous. And obviously when he went to Penn State, I'm like, okay, you know, either when I was covering Nebraska, Nebraska is going to have to see him. Iowa's going to have to see him. But he was one of the first prospects – when I got in this business where my jaw just dropped how incredible he was and what an athletic freak he is. And from my vantage point, he's been really one of one of the cool guys off the field. Seems very transparent. Seems like a really, really solid dude. So I caught the brief end, tail end of your conversation. Yeah. So I wanted to dive into Micah a little bit. No, uh, I remember he, I remember the Nebraska camp, though, because I remember footage uh, surfacing. It may have been your video, but uh, – uh, he was just sprinting by defensive backs there. And this was when Micah and even into his senior season that followed, I remember talking to him after Harrisburg games. He'd be like, yeah, I want to play on both sides of the ball. I really like, and teams were talking to that about him and you were like, yeah, this is kind of the kid you got to cater to. And I think if he third year at Penn state, he probably would have had an opportunity to maybe score a touchdown as a running back at some point didn't happen. Uh, but, but yeah, he could go all over the field. So I appreciate that perspective. And, and I remember that's when he was taking his tour of college football. He went to Alabama, he went to Nebraska, yeah. eventually it all worked its way back to happy valley and the rest is history but let's talk about again the, where iowa is coming in because i'd imagine maybe the way you're viewing this particular matchup here through the lens on this tuesday versus maybe when you woke up last saturday is a bit different because of what i was dealing with from a personnel standpoint yeah no doubt i mean you talk about a team that's really beat up right now it's it's iowa i mean caleb johnson was off to a slow start this year I don't think he's been quite 100% this entire season, which is why his production was down. But he's going to be missing the game due to an ankle injury. And then Jazzy and Patterson, who I thought really impressed me in the win against Iowa State, had a 59-yard burst. Probably a guy that 
I haven't seen Iowa running back with his first step since maybe Brandon Wegher back in 2009, 2010. Just very, very physical guy. Not overly big, but just he, he, a little bit shiftiness about him that I think Iowa could have really used this week. So he's out. And then Luke Lachey, who I think could have been a top two-round draft pick this year had he stayed healthy, had a really nasty, nasty lower leg injury. Uh, so he's going to be out for the year. I would not advise looking up the photo that has surfaced of it. It's ankles mm. just completely the wrong way. Great kid. I, I feel terrible from, from a really good family as well. He'll have a decision to make at the end of the year. But, yeah, I mean, you talk about an offense that ranked 130th in scoring offense last year. Your number one tight end goes down. Cade McNamara's security blanket. Cade McNamara's not 100% still. Iowa's top two running backs go down. Mm. It's very possible that you see a couple of true freshman running backs this weekend in Happy Valley. And that Kamari Moulton impressed me this past weekend, but there's a big difference between Western Michigan's defense and uh, what Penn State can can bring on the other side of the ball. So I've said this. I think they need a Brian Ferentz masterclass. And, yes, there have been a few of them, believe it or not. Not consistently, but there have been a few of them. Uh, but definitely I think Iowa – I don't want to say that they're worried – I thought they said a lot of the right things today, but you also look at the Iowa offense right now and you're wondering where's the production going to come from? Yeah. I mean, when I think of Iowa and their success and in this matchup in particular, it's been when they can establish themselves on the ground. Usually there's a couple running backs involved there without Johnson, without Patterson, you know, you throw things into this array a bit. And of course the tight end, I mean, we talk about tight end being a staple of what Penn state does and sending guys to the NFL I was as good as anybody in that regard, too. So where are they at with tight end? I know there's a familiar name. They got kind of a package deal from, from the Michigan Wolverines this offseason, but obviously it's a big, big shoes to fill. Yeah, man. Uh, Eric All obviously transferred to Iowa, and it was interesting talking to him throughout kind of this entire process because he said when he entered the portal, he was basically eyeballing Iowa. As long as Iowa didn't let them down, he was really wanting to go to Iowa. And that was before Cade McNamara had made a public decision whether or not uh, to go to Iowa. And yeah, it's a little bit of a package deal, but I think Eric would have come regardless. Cade, I don't think it really would have been that simple. But yeah, so I think you look down the list at Iowa. I think Addison Ostranga is a guy that people are going to know by the end of the year. I think if Eric All had not committed to Iowa, Addison was ready to step into being that number two to Luke Lachey. I think he brings a lot of good athleticism. Hasn't had a ton of college production yet, but that's a guy that, you know, Sean Bach, my colleague and myself, felt was very undervalued as a recruit. Sean went up there and scouted him in person when he just committed to Iowa football, was a former Iowa baseball commit first. And he said, look, man, I'm telling you, he's going to be a lot better than people are giving him credit for. And I know there's a lot of internal confidence there as well. And then keep an eye on Steven Stilianos. That's a guy who transferred last season, did not get a lot of time. Uh, very good run blocker. Had a 21-yard catch last week against Western Michigan. Uh, but Iowa's not really worried about the tight end position. I think they'd be better without Luke Lachey. I don't think the ceiling the ceiling's not as high, but I don't think the floor has been lowered without Luke Lachey, if that makes sense. I still think... You know, Addison's going to be able to step in there. Steven Silianos will be able to step in there. And Eric All has to be prepared to kind of take that next big step forward. Not that he's underwhelmed me this season at all. I think Cade's really been focusing on Luke Lachey. But 
with Luke not being there, I think Eric all needs to get a, a big, big jump up in productivity. And we've seen what kind of tight end he is. I know Penn State has as well. As long as his back is 100% healthy, which he claims it is, I think he could still have a really big year for Iowa. But as you mentioned, between losing Luke and a pair of the running backs, there's a lot of different places Iowa could go uh, on offense. But I also think that you know, they have to get the wide receivers more involved, and that's really going to open up everything. Four catches for 24 yards last week as a unit. Mm. That's not going to get done against this Penn State secondary. No, no, it's not. And and, and Lachey, just to, to highlight his, his value early in the season, 10 receptions through two weeks. And if, if that name Eric All is like if, – if people are like, why do I know that name? He was the guy who had a 47-yard touchdown reception in Beaver Stadium in 2021 on, on kind of a busted coverage play where two defenders collided for Penn State. The Nittany Lions were leading Michigan 17-14 to 14 late in that game. And that touchdown ends up putting Michigan ahead, sends them home with a win. They end up winning the Big Ten championship later that year. But the guy who threw that pass is back in Beaver Stadium too, Cade McNamara, before he ended up getting unseated as the starting quarterback at Michigan by J.J. McCarthy. He was there leading them to the Big Ten championship game in 2021. And part of that step, or part, one of the stepping stones was a trip here to Penn State. We've seen Cade McNamara multiple times face this Penn State defense. We haven't seen him represent the Iowa Hawkeyes, though. And, and I'm curious what that has looked like through three games. I think it's been a little bit of an up and down. And I, I want to be fair to Cade here, and I think people need to be fair to Cade. He missed two weeks of fall camp. He got hurt in the only open practice Iowa had all fall. Oh, he just man. kind of stumbled awkwardly, and you know everything kind of took off from there, right? But he missed the final two weeks of fall camp. He did start the first three games, but last week was his first week fully back at practice since that injury. And you talk about going into a new system, trying to get chemistry with your wide receivers, with the tight ends. The timing's been a little bit off. And now, look, to be fair to Iowa as well, I think their offensive line is significantly better than it has been the past two years. I think, you know, for as many problems as Iowa had at quarterback and maybe wide receiver, the offensive line has been Kirk Ferentz's bread and butter. When they have a good offensive line, they have a good enough offense. I'll never say that Iowa's had a great offense, maybe a couple times in the 2000s, but certainly not, you know, in the past since Brian Ferentz has been the coordinator. But... I think Cade, the timing's been a little bit off. I think he maneuvers the pocket very, very well, and I think that's been a big step forward as well. But I still like to see Cade complete some deep passes. I'd like for him to you know, play to win and not play to survive. I think that's also been Brian Ferentz's Achilles heel. They're used to turtling. When they get ahead, they just don't want to turn the ball over. They want Torrey Taylor to go punt because I think he's the best punter in the country. Uh, certainly has a, a good case for it. But Cade, I think right now he's pressing too much and he's trying too hard to be perfect. And I think that's a result of a guy that, number one, like, let's be real. He'll never say it out loud, Tyler, but he wants to play Michigan in the Big Ten title this year. Like, he wants to be able to go back at Harbaugh and have a shot against them. But when a guy like that misses that much time and with all the expectations Iowa had about Cade McNamara, I think he's trying to force passes where they shouldn't be from time to time. I think decision-making has been a little bit iffy at times. I think he's taken, you know, throwing in double coverage, but there's a guy on the other end of the field who's wide open if he makes that one more read. He goes through one more progression. So I think that's what's going to be very interesting to me because, you know, when Kane McNamara committed to Iowa, 
Tyler, let's be real. You brought him in to play and win games like Iowa's going to be facing on Saturday. You didn't bring him in to beat Minnesota. You didn't bring him in to beat Illinois. You brought him in to at least compete and try to beat Penn State, and you brought him in to beat Wisconsin. So I think it's going to be the first real legacy game for Cade at Iowa. Again, it's been a little bit, give or take, but this is the week where there really aren't any excuses, even with the injuries and the lack of preparation. Like Iowa fans expect Cade to show up. And knowing Cade as much as I do and talking to him, and you you know covered the Big Ten, that's about as competitive as, of a guy as there probably is in the league. Yeah, I mean, he was even when he was demoted, he was viewed as a, as a linchpin guy, I guess, within that locker room at Michigan. And, and we saw the fiery nature of him leading the team at Beaver Stadium. And 19 of 29 that day in 2021, 217 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions uh, for Cade McNamara. But let's remember his supporting cast was a Big Ten champion, Michigan Wolverines yeah. team. It, right now, it sounds like if he's been trying to do too much through a few weeks, what does that look like when you take away some of his most important playmakers? I think that's a big question going into this matchup. And it's always a big question with Brian Ferentz. I think a lot of people scratched their head when they saw, wait, Cade McNamara is leaving Michigan to, to go where to finish out his college football career. He's going to you know, tether himself to this offensive coordinator. And you know, a lot of fun was made from the new contract details that came out, the 25-point threshold. And I think we had you on in the summer, and, and we had some fun on that. And I know that you have had your back and forth with Brian Ferentz and Iowa fans, and it goes on and on for years. I'm part of me surprised that the Ferentz family is still in control at Iowa after all these years, but they, they've always managed to kind of bounce back. But Brian's the one that's hard to defend, right? Uh, and and where is the what does he need to do this season? And what have you seen through three games? Because it just feels like that seat couldn't be much hotter, even if Dad's around the corner in his office. So here's what I'll say about that. It's I don't think there's anything like it across the country as far as the dynamic goes, because I, I maybe I said this to you this summer. If Brian had not returned, I fully believe Kirk Ferentz would have retired or just left on his own because it just seems so weird to me that, you know, you fire his son, the new athletic director, Beth Getz, who I think is going to get the full time. She's an interim right now. I think she's going to get the full time deal. Uh, she's been making a lot of, you know, friends behind the scenes. The fans seem to have rallied around her. And, you know, she's very transparent with the media, and that's a very big refreshing change from the 15-minute soliloquies that Gary Barta had. You know, I think the nation knows Gary Barta from the College Football Playoff Committee, right? right. Um, but with Brian, here's the thing about why the 25 points per game is stupid on top of every other stupid reason that it was ever released. The contract terminates. But, Tyler, if Iowa averages 24 points a game and they go 10, they go 11 and 2, 11 and 3, they're bringing Brian back on a new contract. Like, as long as Iowa wins football games, they're going to bring him back, in my opinion. And, you know, talking behind the scenes to, you know, people about Kirk Ferentz, there's a full belief right now that he wants to stay another four or five years. With wow. that being said, this is his last real chance for a Big Ten title, in my opinion. Um, given where, you know, the Big Ten is sort of shifting with USC, UCLA, joining the conference, the divisions going away as well. Um, it's going to be a very interesting couple of seasons for Iowa football. And obviously, Beth Getz, if she gets the job, she's going to probably be replacing Lisa Bluter, who's, I would say, a top 25, top 30 coach in women's basketball history. You got uh, probably might have to replace Tom Brands from the wrestling program. Have to replace Fran McCaffrey, second in Iowa wins history, and then Kirk Ferentz. 
which is why the athletic director hire has been such a big deal, why I've kind of hyper-focused on it. But I also don't believe that Beth is going to, you know, kind of roll over and let Kirk Ferentz run things the way he does. I think they have a good relationship, but, you know, if the offense sputters out and Iowa goes, wins eight games, like I, I think she's going to put up a fight and not be afraid to go toe-to-toe with Kirk about him making a change. So I'm interested to see if that ends up happening, kind of what the final result is. But on the flip side for Cade McNamara, I think him being in the Big Ten was a big plus because he wants to get back in Michigan. And as much as people clown on Iowa's offense, and rightfully so, I mean, I had somebody start a fake GoFundMe for a bourbon fund for having to watch that offense. Uh, Iowa's defense year in, year out. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that was a fake GoFundMe. I'm oh, sorry, dude, I know. I was very mortified about it. Uh, <laughs> Iowa special teams and defense are top five in the country, and I think that's why there's so much angst within the fan base as well that – Iowa has to take a step forward offensively, especially when you look at the Big Ten West, man. The Big Ten West sucks. It might be the worst <laughs> division in college football history this season. Like there's next to a one that has three teams and up five to seven, right? It's it's a remarkable juxtaposition. And maybe it's fittingly the final time that we see this take place. Yeah. It's bad. I mean, the Wisconsin's <laughs> gonna pull together. Luke, Luke Fickle's gonna be a good coach. I think there's a lot too, way too many expectations on for year one. And then you look at everything Iowa had returning. Like I've said it all along. I know you follow me and, you know, people have heard me say it. It's a failure for Iowa if they don't win the Big Ten West and go to Indy. And no matter how many games they win, it's that it should be a failure because if Kirk wants to get one more Big Ten title or at least a shot at, it's got to be this season. Well, if it happens, maybe we'll see these teams play again in Indianapolis early December. They both have a lot to uh, to accomplish in order to earn that opportunity. I want to get to the Iowa's defense because no matter how far it goes off the rails offensively, it always feels like Iowa can hang their hat on the other side of the football year in, year out. James Franklin said as much during his press conference. Drew Aller talked about it this morning and saying as, as far back as he can remember following college football, when you think Iowa, you think good defense. And now he's seen it for himself as they prepare for a game film. What do we need to know about this particular uh, uh, version of the Hawkeyes defense? And who are the game wreckers that the Nittany Lions coaching staff, you'd imagine, is really spending a lot of time focused in on? Yeah, it's it's a very interesting defensive group. And I'm still curious to see what their kind of ceiling is, because it's going to be a Phil Parker coach defense, right? I, they're not going to be like last season, but that's no insult on this year's team, because I don't think people understand how historically great Iowa's defense was last season for as much pressure as that was put on them because of how bad that offense was. Uh, a couple of names I would say to keep in mind. Number one, Cooper DeGene. I would say probably the second best defensive back in the conference. I think Kalen, I think he's slightly better than Cooper, but I think those two are just very, very side by side. Cooper, I would say, is the, one of the most versatile players in the country. He's an outstanding punt returner as well at 76 yards on four uh, punt returns. In last week's game, Iowa fans have been begging Kirk Ferentz to put Cooper on in on offense, like pulling like a Travis Hunter, but I don't think you can afford to have him injured. Uh, but Cooper DeGene's a guy to keep an eye on. He had three pick sixes last season, five total interceptions. He's a great in run support, very, very fast, great athlete. He'll be a first-round pick, I believe. A couple other people, Nick Jackson the Virginia transfer. He's still getting acquainted to the Iowa defense, but that's a guy who I think can really step up in the run game. Him and Jay Higgins have done a really formidable job of replacing Jack Campbell and Seth Benson, who, you know, probably one of the best duo linebacking duos in, 
in the Iowa history. Jack Campbell, I think, is the best linebacker that Iowa's ever had. And that's not shortchanging it because there's some really, really good linebackers that have come out of that program. Another guy who I think could be an X factor, uh, just given how great he can be versus some plays he's given up. Look for safety, Xavier Wampa, five-star safety, uh, true sophomore at 6'3", 220, athletic guy, great, great football IQ, can make things happen. But he's still growing as a leader, especially, you know, when it comes to communication on the back end. Western Michigan has 64-yard touchdown there last week. There's a breakdown in communication there. They had another one that was called back due to an ineligible receiver downfield. The center went too far ahead, but that would have been another Western Michigan touchdown. So as big of a playmaker as he is, Xavier Wampa, you know, if he if there's communication breakdown, especially for, you know, how loud that stadium can be if, if he's not on his P's and Q's, uh, you know, Drew Allar has a great arm. You know, Kirk was very complimentary of him. And the word that Kirk used to describe Drew today, first thing he said was composure. He just looks mm-hmm. so relaxed. He looks like he has great command. He can run. He can throw. And Iowa, I believe, offered him a scholarship relatively early as well. So they, they do have some familiarity there. But Xavier Wampa could be an X factor. And then on the defensive line, I think it's one of Kirk's deepest units that he's had, uh, defensive units he's had in his tenure. I know Iowa sack numbers are not high at all, but if you look at the first three games, they're throwing quick passes. There's been very, very few opportunities for Iowa to kind of get into the backfield there. Keep an eye on Deontay Craig. Keep an eye on Joe Evans, undersized, but great speed on the edge. And then a guy who I think will evolve into a first or second round draft pick is Aaron Graves. He was the 2020, I believe 2022 Max Preps Athlete of the Year across all classes. He's just a freak of nature. Uh, but again, I don't know what the ceiling of this Iowa defense is, uh, but they do have some guys that I think at least have a high floor. So, you know, do I think they can be a top three, top five unit in the country? I'm not willing to go that far, but I'd be surprised if they're worse than, you know, 10 to 12. They'll still put up a pretty formidable challenge, I think. So Iowa opens with a win over Utah State, 24-14, goes to Iowa State, comes away with a 20-13 win, and then rounds out non-conference play with a 41-10 victory over Western Michigan last Saturday. We got uh, our first look at Penn State in conference action. I know that you're probably very curious to see what Iowa's going to look like now they encounter a Big Ten opponent, especially on the road in Beaver Stadium for a whiteout matchup. So Based on what you know about Iowa, given those three games, and what you think you know about Penn State, what would you consider to be the X factors that will ultimately determine whether Iowa has a chance to pull off an upset on Saturday night or if things slip away from the Hawkeyes? You know, here's the thing, too. Preseason, I know I kind of made my rounds around the Penn State board and you know some other places because I said Iowa was going to go into Beaver Stadium and beat them. Now, I didn't think Drew Allard put it together as quickly as he has. I thought the I thought Illinois would be better. I thought Illinois would kind of push Drew Allard a little bit. But Penn State's defense is phenomenal. I mean, four interceptions by four different players. That really impressed me. I think the thing that's going to be, you know, for Iowa, if they can't run the football, I don't think they're winning this game. I just think you take away Luke Lachey, if you put all the pressure on Cade McNamara to make plays, you know, and it sounds like it's going to be a – it could be a rainy night in Happy Valley as well. So I think Iowa's not going to, you know, try to go through the air too much. They're going to run the football. And it'll be interesting with, you know, again, a couple of true freshmen. You have LaShawn Williams, who had 145 yards on 12 carries last week against Western Michigan, kind of reasserted himself saying, hey, don't forget about me. 
because I thought he was trending down, but he had a strong bounce back week there as well. So Iowa needs to run the football. And I also think Iowa has to punch Drew Allar in the mouth and the Penn State offense in the mouth early. They have to create a turnover. Penn State's been phenomenal in the turnover margins early. I think, you know, Drew Allar has great composure. But I think Iowa needs to find a way to get an interception, get in the backfield, kind of get what I said earlier where Cade McNamara is pressing a little bit, trying to make too many things happen. I think Iowa needs to find a way to kind of rattle Drew a little bit and make him show that sort of moxie, make him show that composure, make him show that playmaking ability. Has a great cast around him, has, you know, a couple, I think the best offensive tackle prospect in the country, uh, you know, on that offensive line. So he's got good protection there. But Iowa has to dial up some things on defense to kind of try to take him off his game. So, but if Iowa can't do either of those things, I don't think it's going to be in for a long night, but I also don't have faith that Iowa would be over, able to overcome it because. I was going to mention this too, man. I don't think people around the nation realize how great of a series Penn State, Iowa has been since 2000. Mm. Somebody put a stat out. Iowa leads like 10 to 7 since 2000, but the average score is Iowa 20 and Penn State 19. Yeah. like Sounds about right. It sounds about right. I mean, when we were first having these conversations, Penn State had uh, was building a six-game win streak, um, or they were building upon that win streak, and then you know, Iowa swung the pendulum a bit with back-to-back victories. But I mean, we've heard it from your perspective a few times about how devastating the Trace McSorley to Jawan Johnson slash uh, Saquon Barkley play Superman night was out in Iowa City, and how that still stings people out there. And, you don't have to look back very far to, to get a lot of emotions stirred up among the Nittany Lions fan base with, with what happens last time these two teams mm-hmm. met. So, uh, David, we're going to have a lot to sort through. I, I'm sure social media will be weighing in on this mashup uh, in the next few days leading up to kickoff. I think the emotions are high on both sides of the equation. But let me leave you with this one. Now that you've got the information of where Iowa stands from a health standpoint, who's going to be available, who's probably not going to be available, uh, where do you stand with, with, with how you see this one shaping out and, and ultimately your final score prediction? So this is going to make me come across as a hypocrite. But since I made my big preseason prediction that Iowa was going to beat Penn State and Happy Valley, I'm going to stick by it just because I said it in preseason. But, you know, realistically, unless Iowa puts together a great offensive game plan, I think Penn State's one of the best teams in the country. I think that within the last month of the preseason, the national media and people have really started to turn their attention more to Penn State. Because I felt like there was a lot of Michigan-Ohio State talk with Penn State maybe lurking a little bit. But I felt like there was a lot more attention paid to them once news came out about fall camp, how Drew Allard's progressing, kind of how that team's just formulating itself. Uh, I think it's going to be a close game. I think if if the game is more than 10 points, I think Penn State's going to win because there's no scenario in my mind where Iowa goes in there and beats up on Penn State. That That's just not going to happen. Um, I think it's going to be – you know, like we've seen maybe over the last eight years, I think it could, could come down to the final seven minutes, could come down the final couple of possessions. And I think this will be the first real game where Penn State in the country will kind of see what Drew Allar is made of. Because, again, I think he'll, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the country. I think he will be one of the best quarterbacks in the country. But I'm not shying away from my preseason predictions simply because that was my bold take of the season. Uh but this is a legacy game for Brian Ferentz. I think if Brian Ferentz wants to feel good about going into the later part of the season, if he can hang his hat that he beat, you know, Penn State during the whiteout, 
I think there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of power with that. And you know, the reality is, I don't think Kirk shies away from Penn State. I don't think this Iowa team is going to be rattled at all. They have a quarterback who's gone in there and beaten you know Penn State at Beaver Stadium. Iowa's won during the whiteout. So you know, if it, if anything, I think Iowa's going to go in there and execute to the best of their abilities. But I think, like I said, I I give the upper hand to Penn State. But from a prediction standpoint. I have to stick with my preseason prediction. Do I feel good about it? Absolutely not. At this point. <laughs> I can <laughs> so tell. Gonna... I can tell you're trying to talk yourself out of giving this answer. <laughs> I know. Give I'm us like, a score. Dude. At least, I mean, if you're going to go all in, go all in. Give us a score. I'll go. I'll go 20, 20 to 17. Iowa stops through all our <laughs> the end. I, I again I'm, I'm I feel, I feel like I'm pulling I'm pulling a tooth out of your mouth instead of a prediction. But I, I, I respect the hustle. You can go yeah, you can go back to your message board and say, remember, remember that that bold statement I made in the summer? I'm sticking with it. And you can rally the troops and we'll and if you're right, you'll be able to bang your tre- your chest out there to a lot of people. And if you're that's, wrong, I'm that's sure that's kind that- of why I'm sticking by it because the worst <laughs> thing is if I if I flip it and then I try to take credit for it, everybody will be like no you didn't you lost faith like where's the conviction behind what you're saying so that's a nightmare scenario for me (laughs) so i'll just i'll take the clowning for you know picking iowa in my bold takes but i'll stick by it i'm i'm just excited i can cross this off my college football bucket list i've heard so many cool things about beaver stadium i've never been out there since i started covering iowa and with it being the whiteout it's going to be a really really cool experience that's right. That 2020, that 2020 rendition when Will Levis got the start and Sean Clifford was benched for one half yeah. in that nightmare of a season as Penn State dropped that one five. Yeah, there was no one in the stands. You weren't in the press box. It didn't make sense for you to make that trip. I'm glad that has changed and for a lot of reasons. And I'm glad that you'll be with us uh, come Saturday night, primetime setting. And I hope you're prepared to feel that press box sway back and forth and back <laughs> and forth because it's going to happen early and often on Saturday night. So enjoy yourself. We'll see you soon in person. Thanks as always for dropping on the podcast. If there's anything I can do or we can do at Lions 24-7 to assist your coverage from the Iowa end this week, just let us know. I know I got faith in you, buddy. Good talking to you. I appreciate you. All right. See ya. Great stuff from David Eichholt, who we've talked to a bunch here on the podcast, had him on back in the summer, certainly was more confident then, I think it's fair to say, in in giving that uh, assertion that Penn State would would be upset by Iowa than he is now. Uh, But uh, but we got to give him credit for standing by his convictions, uh, even though he certainly uh, did not feel like his two feet were on the bandwagon from David on that pick. Uh, Big, uh, great, great thanks to him. Great thanks to Daniel Gallen for the segment before that, breaking down everything uh, from James Franklin's weekly press conference and our conversation with Drew Aller and Theo Johnson earlier today. Plenty more coming your way at lines247.com, including this expanding by the moment, it feels like, uh, recruiting guest list for Saturday. A lot of confirmations coming our way. Brian Doan has been doing a lot of heavy lifting with our recruiting coverage. And of course, Tyler Calvaruso is all over that as well. We have you covered game uh, game week number four practice availability Wednesday evening. Follow our coverage. We'll have our practice report following that. Um, and a lot more coming your way at lines247.com. For now on the podcast until Thursday when we come to you with our preview predictions for the whiteout game, I'm Tyler Donahue. Thanks to everyone for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast.